you'd like to open up to Exodus chapter 15 this morning, we'll be uh, spending some time in who is like you, O Lord. We're going to ask the question, who is like our Lord? And uh, what we'll be focusing on. Uh, this morning, Peter, our pastor, is in Cincinnati with, for his nephew's graduation. And as that season, I have uh, <clears throat> two nephews and a niece who all just uh, are graduating, and so different things going on. It's just, uh, I'm sure you all feel the crazy time of the year, school's ending, schedule's changing. It's, uh, it's a busy time, uh, but yet I'm so thankful that we have in our rhythm set a day set aside to the Lord to gather, to slow down to refocus and to, to remember our God and what he's doing. And so <clears throat> this morning as we are in Exodus 15, continuing on the, the story of the Exodus is uh, just a, an exciting opportunity um, uh, to just present one of the, the, the oldest penned hymn that we have uh, recorded for us for, for people of faith, that Moses penned these words uh, immediately upon the 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 crossing of the Red Sea and their response to God. And it's believed by scholars that the book of Exodus would have been written at the end of Moses' life, yet this song that would have been sung by that time decades was then put into the narrative where it happened. And so you have this expression that comes immediately upon seeing the moving hand of the Lord uh, in their release, and, uh, and it sets a pattern for us of worship. And it teaches us so much about our God and what he's doing, uh, what he has done and what he's going to do, and, uh, and it, it is a joy to present that to you. So let's read Exodus 15 in its entirety, and then we'll spend some time here. <clears throat> then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow the adversaries. You send out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The people have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes their leaders of Moab, and the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. 
terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stones till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against the Lord, saying, What shall we drink? Sorry, and they grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the, the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and here he tested them, saying, if, you're, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there are 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the water. And this will conclude our reading for today. So who is like you? Although verse 11 is what jumped out to me the first time I read through this and was praying through it earlier in the week. And um, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, and doing wonders? This, this rhetorical question calling us to ponder the greatness of our God, to ponder our theology, the study of God. Uh, if you have thoughts about God, you are a theologian of some, at some level. Uh, it is the greatest pursuit that man can pursue to understand and know God. Uh, it is a, a truth that as we think about God, we will never be able to exhaust our knowledge of God. Matt Redman was writing about writing songs about God is that uh, it's, it's a sub, the only subject he can think of that he can write as many songs as he can and never, and never fully teach who God is. The source of, of material is unending because God is so much bigger and, um, than we can even imagine. And the truth of that, as we um, learn more about God and as we are overwhelmed in his presence and knowledge of him, that we will uh, be safe and secure in who he is. That when life overwhelms us, uh, we will not be tossed to and fro because of who he is. And so pursue a knowledge of God. Go deeper in seeking to understand God. Don't allow um, yourself just to, to be satisfied with the, the surface level things. Drink deeply of the word of God. Allow it to enlighten your eyes and your heart to who God is. And, uh, and, and one of the, the, the ways we do that is through the, the worship music that we choose and sing. That music here, we go to the, the first hymn that written that it is, uh, has uh, uh, rhythm and it has a song that can be remembered and it can be passed on 
and why we need to fill our hearts and our minds with good, rich theological songs that teach us because those will stick with us far better than a sermon that I preach. Um, that we can go from here remembering a song and uh, in times of need, the songs can come up and remind us of, of who our God is and, uh, and what he's doing. And I was trying to think of some of my favorite songs but, uh, to sing to you, but I, I shouldn't do that because that wouldn't be a blessing to you. But it is a blessing to me when I'm uh, going through things and God's word comes to me. The, a mighty fortress is our God. comes to mind. And uh, the old rugged cross comes to mind. And, and songs that I, I think of as, um, as we go. In Christ alone uh, is such a, a newer song that teaches us uh, the deep richness of what Christ has done and the foundation that we have, that we should memorize songs. And as I was preparing this and thinking through this, I was like, <clears throat> I memorized portions. I just, by singing them, I have portions memorized, but I don't have the full song. And like, man, I started trying to sing some of these songs to myself, and I would get to a certain point, and I'm like, uh, I don't know the rest. And so I need to go back and remember these things because they're so important. Now, we have the luxury in our day and age to, uh, if we don't remember, pull out our phone, pull up YouTube, punch it in, and then we can, uh, we can complete singing it. But, um, but the memory is so important to allow the Word of God, the teaching of God, uh, to be uh, infused in our life. And, and music is one of the vehicles in which it not only uh, sticks in our head but gets into our heart. And, uh, and changes us. So as we think about their response here, they cross the Red Sea, they see the waters cave in on Pharaoh and his army, his chariots and the host of, of Pharaoh, and they get on the other side and they have a, a quick response in song. And, and I, it's a good reminder that as we come to worship our God, the, the Christian response to a God who has already redeemed us, the God who has pursued us, the God who has acted we respond in worship. We're not going to God in worship to make him do something for us. He has already done it. That we, he is who he is, and he is faithful to his word. And so when we go to worship, we are worshiping God because of who he is, what he has done. Not, be, not because we just want to, like, I mean, there are times we go, and we just, we want a certain song, we want a certain instrument, we want a certain rhythm, because we want to feel a certain way, and we sometimes come into a worship with this idea of, like, I, I want to feel good, I, I want to get to the place where I cry in a song, or all those that can be good, but if we're going for an emotional response in and of itself, we're missing the point, that even when we don't feel like it, God is God. And God has delivered the people from Egypt. And God has delivered us from the, the curse of sin and death in the resurrection of Christ. That no matter what I feel, God is God. And he is worthy of our praise. And so let's go through this uh, using verse 11 as our outline for the text. But who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? It's going to be our first point. Majestic and holiness. Who is like our Lord? Our Lord, Yahweh, uh, the, the one true God, is majestic in holiness. And if we look here at uh, the first uh, couple verses, it says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown in the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My Father's God. I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. 
He is majestic in holiness. He is set apart. He is completely different than any other. Than he's different than us. He's different than, and we get later on, that he, he, no other gods are like him. Um, but this is, he is holy. He's perfect. He's righteous. And he is set apart. There is no one like him. And here, as, as Moses and the people are coming out of Egypt, understand they have spent over 400 years in Egyptian culture, surrounded by the gods of Pharaoh, they, uh, the, the Egyptian uh, gods. And the mindset uh, had trickled into the, the Hebrew people. So we do see throughout Exodus the times when they longed for Egypt and uh, told to destroy their idols and to, to give up uh, their, their false gods. But being in a culture, and we can understand this, a culture that is anti-God, a culture that is anti-Christianity, uh, that, that it teaches us to think differently, and without even realizing it, the culture gets into us, which is why we need each other, why we gather together in the community of faith, why we open the word and we, we share it together, because um, we need to see what God says and we need to combat the culture, but we can empathize and understand that 400 years in a certain culture, that culture gets into them. And what Moses is doing here, uh, as he starts, he's teaching his people that God is different, that he is majestic in holiness, that he is other than what they know, that he is more than anything they can imagine. And notice that Moses, having written this, starts off with a very personal uh, uh, worship service. He says, I will sing to the Lord. The Lord is my strength, my song, my salvation, my God, my Father's God. I will exalt him. He is, he's saying, our God is majestic in holiness. He is a very personal God. He's a relational God. He's a God in whom you can know. He's a God in whom you can experience and worship and be present with you. Uh, he is different than all those other gods. Now, a reminder of Pharaoh believed himself to be divine and they worshipped him as divine and he was the mediator to the Egyptian people between the Egyptian gods and the Egyptian people. That's what they believed about Pharaoh. And, uh, and, and their gods were, were not real uh, and they were oppressive and they were enslaving and this god is relational. He's knowable and uh, he is worthy of singing to. He's the, uh, he says here that Yahweh, the Lord, is his name. So the word for God in the Old Testament, El or Elohim, is a, it's a generic term for God, and it's used in multiple, multiple places in the scriptures, not referring specifically to God. Um, and only context will, will tell us. But in, a, in our English language, God can be used in, in many different ways and, uh, and be applied to different religious groups and others. Uh, and so what Pharaoh does, he, I mean, uh, Moses does here is showing that Yahweh is the one true God, that the God's name is Yahweh, the real God, not Pharaoh, not any of the gods of Egypt, but Yahweh is his name. The Lord um, is God, and he is to be worshiped. He is the God of salvation and deliverance. He's the one who sets captives free. Worshiping God, worshiping through, through Christ, is the most freeing activity we can do as humans. 
that when worshiping the majestic holiness of God, we are doing what we were created to do. We are um, being in a right relationship with God. Anything less than true, genuine worship of God is enslaving. That when we try to pursue God on our own way, uh, or we pursue another God, or we deny God, we are enslaved in sin. But in pursuing God truly and freely and openly with our whole heart, we will be the most human we can possibly be. We will be the most free that we could possibly be because he is holy. And also in his holiness, he is a, uh, says a, a man of war. He's a mighty warrior. And here he says uh, the, the um, horse and rider he tossed into the sea. That he is bigger than the enemy. Egypt was the greatest superpower on earth at the time, and God defeated it. Like, he is a mighty man of war. He is a mighty warrior. He is greater than our enemies. He's greater than the enemy of our soul. You know, we can read this in, in this praise, and as he's singing it, the Lord is a man of war. He's got my back. I can depend upon him. He is bigger than anything I face. He is majestic in holiness. Just a, a, uh, in the last chapter, Moses um, and the people heard, uh, heard God say this, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The mighty man of war will fight for us. We just need to be silent and wait on him and to trust him that he will work. Now, um, that was a difficult thing for them to do. Even though they're seeing the ten plagues of Egypt, and even though they see the crossing of the Red Sea, um, you're seeing an army come flying at you. Like, and to just say, oh, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait and be silent. I'm just going to sit here, and, and God's going to deliver us. What's he going to do next? Now, um, and God proved himself faithful. And, uh, and that's why then he is, who is like you, O Lord, uh, majestic in holiness, but awesome in glorious deeds. Awesome and glorious deeds that, that as they come to this place of response, of worship, and as they're thinking through, and as Moses writes this hymn to pass on to the people, we see here then in um, verses 4 through 10 uh, that God is a God of deliverance. The glorious deeds that he has done to deliver his people from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And you think back to, we saw the burning bush, God appearing, uh, consume, uh, a fire that does not consume a bush to capture Moses. We have the ten plagues that have gone through and single-handedly dismantled every uh, god of Egypt and showing that they have no power over our god. Then we see the, the waters piled up on each side and they walk through on dry ground. And finally, they, that God released those waters to destroy uh, the defeating of Pharaoh's chariots and his, his hosts. <clears throat> we see the glorious deeds of deliverance in this story, this, this first hymn, this greatest hymn, written for us to be reminded of God's faithfulness, his glorious deeds that he is doing. Um, in uh, verse 9, we're reminded that uh, Pharaoh said this, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. And then the next verse, he's destroyed. Like the pride and arrogance of the enemy. We think of Satan's fall and the I wills that he wanted to take over God and he was cast out of heaven. Anytime we sin against God, 
It's a rebellion against God. It's a pride of thinking, I will do something uh, in, in opposition to God. And sin always leads uh, us to punishment. God cannot look on sin and condone sin. Uh, and so he always um, shows justice and, and righteousness and punishes sin and, and removes sin from his presence. And, uh, and here Pharaoh had opportunity after opportunity. If we go back through the plagues, you're reminded that on the first five uh, plagues that came, God gave opportunity for Moses, uh, for, through Moses to Pharaoh to soften his heart. And each time it says, and Pharaoh so, uh, hardened his heart. And then the second five we begin to see, uh, it says that, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That God gave him opportunity after opportunity to humble himself and to uh, repent and, and allow God's plan to go forward and then he fought it and then, then the grace of God uh, was removed and God hardened his heart and it was over for Pharaoh that we have to be reminded that, that the arrogance of the enemy will always be defeated uh, though God is a patient God and gives time for repentance but I was reminded also as we think of uh, Pharaoh's words here in the song about what Peter reminded us in 1 Peter 5 8 says be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That we have an enemy who is saying, I will pursue you, I will overtake you, I will divide my spoil, I, uh, my desire shall have its fill, I will draw my sword, I will destroy you. The enemy of our souls is saying, I'm going to destroy you. John 10 10 says, There's a thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what the enemy wants to do. That's what Pharaoh wanted to do. That's what Satan and his armies want to do for you. And we have to be watchful. We have to recognize his plan is to destroy us, but yet we have a God who is majestic in holiness, who is a deliverer in awesome and glorious deeds. And that he can overcome because right after it says there's a thief that has come to kill, steal, and destroy, Jesus says, but I have come to give you life and life to the full. <clears throat> And so this praise song as we go through here is an immediate response to the glorious deeds of Yahweh, of seeing God move and saying, I must praise him. And thinking about in our own lives, what are times of our lives that God has done something glorious? And do we remember those things? Do we praise him for those things? Do we talk about those things? For some of us, there might be some glorious deeds that God did for us that are very personal, uh, that maybe we should go home and craft a song that we sing to God. Uh, but there are all those, those times that God has done things that we just, we need to declare from the mountaintops. Look what God has done. Look how God has redeemed us. One of the things I, I thought of in almost 18 years ago um, was a, a, something that happened here in this church that, um, that in this graduation season I'm reminded of. So my nephew, uh, Jordan, was, uh, was born with a mitochondria disorder, and the doctors told him he wouldn't live to be six months old. And I just started at the church um, not too long before that and some of you might remember those of you who were here at the time we, we met in our fellowship hall my family came here and we had a prayer meeting and we prayed and we prayed and prayed and, uh, and, the, you know, like, and I just was talking to Steve Holson back a couple weeks ago about this and he was like yeah kids who are born that way they don't survive and the doctor said like he came in he just said I'm sorry and my sister had to do research That's all the doctor said is like I'm sorry and uh, my nephew just graduated uh, from CVCA, 18 years later, no residual effects, and, and God is using him, and God is good. I'm like, and he doesn't even know, like he doesn't even understand 
you know, how he began. He just knows life. And God has preserved his life day after day. And we praise God uh, for so many things. But that's one of the things that my family praises God for because he performed a miracle that can only be explained by him. Which is also a powerful prayer to have. To just pray in your daily prayer, God, do something today that can only be explained by you. And, uh, and, uh, and watch what God does. Uh, you might not see it every day, but it, uh, actually what, what happens as you pray that is it causes you to start paying attention to what God's doing. I, if I confess to you, I go through many days without looking to see God work. God's working, God's doing. God's always constantly going on, which is leading us to our next point, doing wonders. But God is working. The uh, uh, question is, am I paying attention? Am I asking him to move? Am I asking him to, to do things and to reveal himself to us? And so we have that, our, who is like oh, you, O oh Lord, your majestic and holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, you're doing wonders, that he is, a, he is the redeemer. Verse 13 says this, the do, so you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The, the doing deeds, the, his continual action. You know, here it's the, the continual faithfulness of God, the, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, that he did not redeem uh, Israel out of Egypt because they deserved it. He didn't redeem Israel out of Egypt because they constantly pled for it and they worshiped and they had praise and they had faith the whole time. Like, no. They got, they got lost in enslavement. They were lost in Egypt for 400 years. God kept his, uh, God redeemed them because of his steadfast covenant-keeping love that he had given to Abraham and said, you are my, your descendants are my chosen people. I will move. So here we're in Exodus 15. If I just jump back to Genesis 15. Um, and here the, the covenant that, that God made with, uh, with Abraham. And uh, I just taught this in youth group not too long ago, so it was real fresh in my mind. And, uh, um, and he says, uh, let's see where I want to start here. So God is with Abraham, and, and he, he made a, a pro- the covenant with him. And, he, um, and Abraham said, oh, Lord, how do I know that I'm to possess the land? And God said to him, bring me, this is uh, 15, verse 9, if you're following along, he said, God said to Abraham, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over and against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possession, and you shall go to your fathers in peace, and shall be buried in a good old age." And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites are not yet complete. And the sun had gone down, and it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the the great river uh, Euphrates, 
and he gives them, he gives them this promise. And, uh, <clears throat> and I'm amazed at this promise. One, what brought my attention to this one is that uh, the, the parting of the Red Sea and the crossing through. And here in this uh, blood covenant that God makes with Abram is the cutting in half of these animals and separating them. And it was for two parties to walk through the center. And uh, as if I don't keep my word, may what happened to these animals happen to me. And it says, God caused the sleep to fall over Abram and said, um, and gave him this promise that your, your descendants will go into Egypt. They will be enslaved for 400 years, but I will deliver them. And then God walks through the, the, the center, that he crosses the divide. And then I thought, with the smoking pot, pillar of fire. Uh, the, pillar of, the, the pillar of fire, the smoke, and the, and the cloud. The cloud and the, the, the fire. We see them both here. Walking through the center. And, and God's saying, Abram, I know you can't keep this covenant. But I can. And I will carry the full weight and the burden of fulfilling this. And so God remembered his words. Uh, and it says, your steadfast love to the people, the descendants of Abram. That God kept his word. He redeemed them. And that he guided them by his strength to the holy abode. Verse 17 says, You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. This is this demonstration of steadfast love. He calls them, he leads them, he redeems them, he, he promises to dwell with them, his abode. That this here is, a, is pointing to Mount Zion, to, to Jerusalem one day, uh, where they will be established in a place of worship with their God, and then even pointing even farther on to the new Jerusalem, that one day that he will come and dwell with his people. And so I thought of John 14, 1 through 3, says, Let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you uh, that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The desire of God is for his people to dwell with him, that he is present with us today, every day, that, um, in the, the, the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, because of these things, he is worthy of our worship. This is why when we learn truths about God, when we see who he is and what he's done, we should respond in song. We should respond in worship and, um, and uh, the song of faith. And as we read this song of Moses written uh, thousands of years ago and preserved to tell the story of God's faithfulness <clears throat> and then think forward through the future that we have promised in Jesus Christ, in Revelation 15 it says this, uh, here... We're leaving the, 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 the Red Sea, and we're going to the Glass Sea. And verse 2 says, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image, and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, the God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. You see this, this response, this, this, this hymn that is so important, written in Exodus, that continues on for all eternity to remind us that the God is the one true God. 
that he's majestic in holiness, um, <clears throat> that he is amazing in glorious deeds, and that he, he, he has... Uh, I just lost my own spot. <laughs> um, he's majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders, that he's continuing to do wonders. And uh, we see this in, in what, when we come to the cross, that, that Jesus has provided the way for us, and that Jesus today is our mediator in heaven, uh, defending us. And as we, as we even sing the song, My, my One Defense, that, that's Jesus. He's our defense He's the one standing before God saying that the enemy cannot defeat us, that he has purchased us, that he has redeemed us. And, uh, and when he separated his arms, spread his arms to, to hold back the power of sin and enslavement, and then he conquered our enemy with the shedding of his blood, that in his resurrection we have hope of true life, amazing life. And so therefore we can sing these words, great and amazing are his deeds. Oh, Lord, the Almighty. And so we respond in song, and then we respond in hearing and obeying. I do find it interesting as, they, um, as soon as the people leave uh, the Red Sea, they, they hit their first bump in the road, and what do they do? They grumble and complain against Moses. And you're like, well, you just saw God miraculously deliver you from the Egyptians, do you not think that he can provide some fresh water? But, but they're grumbling and complaining, and, and God, at this time, immediately just, just uh, he, he shows Moses how to cast the, uh, the log in and provide clean water, but then he gives them this statute and rule. He says in uh, the end there, the, verse 25, there, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tests them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Now here you can kind of summarize a lot of the Old Testament. If you obey, listen and obey, to hear and do, uh, go together. It can't be just listen. It has to be hear and do and obey. If you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. Here he's not saying that if you obey God, you'll never get sick. He's not saying that God won't allow difficulties in life to come. Uh, he, is, he is our healer. He's our doctor. But he's saying, if you pursue me and follow me and obey me, the curses that were happened to Egypt for their disobedience, for their rebellion, for their pride won't be put on you. Um, that he will be there with us through it, through it all. And so we turn to him, we hear him, and we obey him. Now we obey not from a, a posture of fear, but out of a, a response of love. That maybe we're not in a worship service where we can just sing praise uh, every day, but when we wake up tomorrow morning and we live our day in obedience to God, we are worshiping him in all that we do when we go into our workplaces and we see God in what we do, that we recognize that we are uh, serving the Lord in, in our vocation, in our homes, in our families, in our neighborhoods, that every moment of every day is an opportunity to obey God and therefore worship God and bring glory to God. Worshiping God doesn't just happen when we gather on our Sunday morning, which we call worship services, which they are, but worship happens each and every moment in the life of a believer that we're with God because... He does dwell with us. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
and he empowers us, enlightens us, opens our eyes to understand his word, provides opportunities each day for us to serve others, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and, uh, and he's always with us because he is a God who is worthy of worship. And so it is to this God that we must turn our heart's attention, that we must learn to, to love God, to care for others, and to communicate his message. That's what we're about here at Lakeside. And so as we close and we begin to, uh, in song, this reminder that we need to, this is the God whom we serve. This is the God whom we should love. And from our love, that we will sing forth in praise. And so let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much that, that you are the God of heaven. And Lord, that you are the redeemer. Lord, that there is none like you. There is no enemy that can uh, overtake you. Lord, that uh, though there are seasons that we struggle and, and, be like, and then seasons where much like the Israelites who forget quickly, Lord, you call us to remember through song, and through worship. And so I pray, Lord, as we, uh, as we finish today, that you would go with us, uh, remind us of your greatness. In Jesus' name, amen.